Welcome to the SJBC Sunday Morning Sermon. We hope you enjoy this message brought to you by our senior pastor, Dr. Richard Carver. For more podcasts, videos, and information on our church, please visit mysjbc.org. We're in Zechariah chapter 9 this morning, page 774 there in your pew Bible. We'll also be in Matthew chapter 21, uh, page 801 in your pew Bible. And what we'll be doing for the next four weeks, working uh, four Easter sermons, then we'll get back into the book of Colossians. But for the next four weeks, uh, my intention is to take an Old Testament, well, the next three weeks, to take an Old Testament text and then help it head how, explain how it sheds light upon New Testament passages. Today we'll be in Zechariah. Uh, next week will be in Psalm 24. The following week will be in the book of Job. And then on Easter Sunday, we will be bouncing around several places, but we're going to end up in the book of Revelation uh, thinking about Christ's triumphal entry and Him coming again. So just give you an idea of where we're going uh, for the next four weeks. And then uh, uh, first Sunday in May, we'll pick back up in Colossians, so chapter 2. So just a lot going on, I guess. Grateful for that. Today we're in uh, Zechariah chapter 9. Uh, eventually, we're going to work our way to that, but we're going to start off in Matthew chapter 21, page 801 in your pew Bible. And when we get to this, this passage of Scripture in the New Testament, the disciples are on the Jericho Road. They're with Jesus. They're moving toward uh, Jerusalem for the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And they're, they're making their way, and certain preparations have to be made prior to Christ entering into Jerusalem. And has to do with a, a, a goat, with a, a donkey, a colt, a foal uh, a donkey, and very important, and it, and it gives a specific message about who is entering Jerusalem on that day. Now, they had already climbed uh, most of the pathway up into Jerusalem, and they twisted and turned for about 17 miles from Jericho to Jerusalem. So join me in Matthew chapter 21 as they are making the journey towards Jerusalem. Matthew tells us that in verse in chapter 21, verse 1, that as they approach Jerusalem, and this again is Jesus, His disciples, and they have picked up a few along the way, and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, and this is the instructions He gave, go to the village ahead of you, which was Bethphage. At once you will find a donkey tied there, by her colt, or I mean with her colt by her. Untie them, bring them to me. So bringing both the, the, the young donkey and the mama donkey. If anyone says anything, say the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. Send the donkey and the colt right away. By this time, we're in Jesus' third year of ministry. And most of the disciples had learned that when Jesus gives an instruction, you don't ask why, you just go ahead and do it. So verse 6, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. Now, however small this assignment might seem, it's really prophetically quite large. There's a lot happening, and it's full of biblical and theological significance in Jesus being seated upon a donkey. In this scene, it's demonstrating that Christ is the King. 
verse 4. This took place, the borrowing of the donkey and the colt, the laying of the cloths over the colt, Jesus sitting upon the colt, traveling from, from Bethphage to Jerusalem, which was just a short distance. All of this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Well, that prophet was Zechariah. And we're going to go read Zechariah 9 in just a moment. But it was Zechariah who prophesied this many hundreds of years prior. And this is what the prophet spoke. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle. Now another word for gentle is lowly. Some of your translations may have the word lowly there. Um, but gentle and lowly are the same words. When we read Zechariah 9, you're going to find that it says lowly. But see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt. So it sounds like he has his rump on one and his legs possibly draped across the other. Now he would not be straddling both because it would be far too wide and you would fall. So he's probably seated upon the mom, if you could imagine that. He's seated upon the back of the mother with his feet resting on the back of the colt. Now that's significant. Because Zacharias says, Say to the daughter Zion, See your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt. The fall of a donkey. Of all the things that Jesus said and did throughout his three years of earthly ministry. Now we're not discounting the 30 years of his being upon this earth, making sure his mom's cared for him, being a carpenter and those kind of things, uh, fulfilling his father's trade. But we're talking about the three years of his earthly ministry. Of all the things that Jesus said and did between in those three years, and even between his birth and crucifixion, the one that jumps out to be noticed prophetically from Scripture is Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It makes a profound pronouncement about who he is in this world. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, page 774, there in your pew Bible. This is Zechariah's prophecy. He says, rejoice greatly, or just break out in exuberant rejoicing, daughter Zion. That's another name for Jerusalem. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious. Lowly, that's another word for gentle. We talked about that earlier. Lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, so on the foal of a donkey. Zechariah identifying both animals. Now, I don't know how many pictures you've looked at of Jesus riding into uh, Jerusalem or how many movies you've watched, but every movie, every picture really has it wrong because there's only one donkey in the picture. It's important that there are two the mother, and the youngling. It was by getting on a donkey and the colt and riding into Jerusalem that Jesus announced 
that he was coming as Israel's messianic king. Now this announcement of his arrival as messianic king would have sent shouts that would have reverberated all across Jerusalem, all across the nation of Israel, even all the way to Rome. They would have felt the reverberation of the the joy of the coming king. Very important. Now, the people of Israel had always understood Zechariah's prophecy to refer to the Messiah. And the word Messiah just means God's anointed king. The one that God anointed and separated and called out for his own. And Jesus mounted a donkey, but not just any old donkey. He mounted the donkey with the colt. There was a purebred colt, just as Zechariah had promised. And Jesus In that motion and in that activity, he was pronouncing in a very clear way to all who could see that he was fulfilling Zechariah's promise. That he was the fulfillment of the prophesied Messiah for all people. Now the Jews knew their Bibles or knew their Torah. We call it the Old Testament. They knew their Bibles. That's why when Jesus came from Bethphage on the donkey with the colt, people's eyes went boing because they knew their Bible. And when they saw that man approaching on that donkey with that colt in that manner, because they knew their Bible... They knew that that was the Messiah. Now, this earth will have a similar experience. When the trumpet sounds for the rapture of the church, when the dead in Christ shall rise first, and all those that know Christ our Lord and Savior will follow them, meeting them in the air, there are many lost people who have sat in many church services and heard that there will be a trumpet call of God. Now, there's going to be many across this earth, when they hear that trumpet call, coming from somewhere that they can't identify, it's going to be a worldwide trumpet sound, they're going to know exactly what that is. And they're going to know, oh my goodness, it's too late. The raptures has happened. Just like that preacher said it would. Just like my mama said it would, or my grandma, or my brother or sister said it would. It happened just like that. And all those people are going to know immediately what happened. The same thing's going on with the nation of Israel. In Jerusalem. When Jesus came in, seated upon that donkey in that foal, they knew immediately what that symbol represented. And they broke out in celebration. That's why we see so many people gathering around Jesus as he's making his way into Jerusalem. Him seated upon that donkey, they absolutely recognized that this was the coming Messiah. Now now there's a clue that the people of Jerusalem recognized this connection between Zechariah and what Jesus is doing in Matthew chapter 21. Because when they saw Jesus riding on the foal of a donkey, they began to shout, Hosanna to the son of David. Now, they knew the promises just like you do. God promised David and Solomon that there would always be someone upon their throne, a descendant of his upon the throne. Jesus was the legitimate heir to the throne of David. If Rome had not been in power, if there had not been a Roman occupation in Jerusalem, 
Jesus would have already been the king because he was the rightful descendant, the heir, the firstborn of Mary and Joseph. From them we know it was Mary and the Holy Spirit. But from the world's perspective, the firstborn son to Joseph, which would have mean that Joseph would have been the king. That's why scholars and commentators believe that Joseph was deceased by now. Because if Joseph had been living, who would have been the heir to the throne? Joseph. So Joseph could not be alive. Or they would have not shouted Hosanna to the son of David. They would have shouted Hosanna to the prince of David. But they were shouting Hosanna to the son of David or Hosanna to the king. They knew who Jesus was. They knew whose cousins were whose cousins. Just like you know your family. The Jewish people knew their family too. They knew their heritage. They knew that Jesus was the rightful heir to the throne. And by using that title as he's entering Jerusalem, they were announcing to all that could hear that Jesus was the rightful king, not Caesar over in Rome. Not Pontius Pilate, who was the governor in that, at that time. Nobody except Jesus. Now that was unsettling for the political people because they could see political, could see political upheaval on the horizon. But for the nation of Israel, they understood that Jesus was coming in the name of the Lord. Now this is profound. Now there's an even older prophecy than Zechariah's that explains why Jesus rode on a donkey. It's, it's hundreds, perhaps thousands of years older than Zechariah's prophecy. We're studying the book of Genesis on Wednesday evenings. And we're in chapter 48. We haven't got to 49 yet, so Wednesday folks are getting a preview. But in chapter 49, long before Zechariah pronounced his prophecy, Jacob pronounced this blessing upon his son Judah. Now we know that Judah, that Jesus is descended through the line and the tribe of Judah. Listen to the blessing that Jacob gives to his son Judah. Genesis 49. The scepter will not depart from Judah. Who holds the scepter? The king. Now, did the nation of Israel even exist at this time? No. The nation of Israel didn't exist proper until after the Exodus, until after Moses took and after the 40-year wandering in the wilderness. But here we have Jacob pronouncing through his son Judah that the scepter of kingdom and kingship would not depart from his son, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs, now who does it belong to? Now we know because we're looking back through time. But who's the last and final king? Jesus. Who does, the, who does Judah's scepter actually belong to? Jesus Christ. The Messiah. Descended through the line in the tribe of Judah. So he writes, until he to whom it belongs 
shall come, and the obedience of the nation shall be his. Look at verse 11 closely. He will tether his, what? Donkey. What Jesus ride into Jerusalem? Donkeys. What were the people pronouncing as Jesus rode in? Hosanna to the son of David, or hell to the true and rightful king. His colt. Oh, so now we have a donkey and we have a colt. This is, folks, this is thousands of years prior. His colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, his robe in the blood of grapes. That's a reference to his beating and bleeding that we now know and understand was a part of the crucifixion. When you put Jacob's prophecy in the Old Testament, thousands of years prior to Christ, and you couple that with Zechariah's prophecy hundreds of years before Christ, and then we come to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, and we read about the actual fulfillment of the two prophecies that are hundreds and thousands of years older. For us, that gives us tremendous confidence in the reality and the truthfulness that Jesus Christ is the King. He is the King. Now, Jacob's prophecy meant that, that Israel's true King would come from the line of Judah. In some way, the true King would be associated with a colt and a donkey. Now what is only hinted at in, in Genesis is made more clear in Zechariah and then it is made just as clear as glass in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus, the son of David, descended from Judah, rode into Jerusalem as Israel's rightful king. Now if Jesus is the king then all his loyal subjects must recognize his kingship. And so that's what they do. As he's entering into Jerusalem, all the people gathered there for Passover begin to acknowledge and recognize that Jesus is the king because they understand what's happening. The Jews did this by calling him the son of David. I mean, we can't, we, we, we can't hardly grasp how it would have reverberated all through the city. For people to say, the king is here, the king is here. Folks, the king is here. Tell everyone, the king is here, the king is here. And it spread all through Jerusalem so that the streets filled up with throngs of people. Hundreds, maybe thousands of people coming to see the king entering into Jerusalem. They were so excited to see the king that they began to take off their coats and lay their coats down like carpet for the king to enter into Jerusalem. It was an ancient custom. But they didn't want the king's feet, the feet of his donkey and colt, to get dirty. So I made a carpet. Now today, we recognize Jesus too as the sovereign king. But instead of taking off our coats, we lay open our hearts. We say, yes, Lord, you're my king. Be my Lord and Savior. By throwing down our self-will, in absolute surrender to Him, 
We invite Him then to govern everything we think, everything that we say, everything that we do. And then we praise Him as our rightful King. He becomes our King by entering Jerusalem, yes, by also, but by entering our heart. We ask Him to come into our hearts as our Lord and Savior to be the King. Romans 10, 9, 10 says, If we confess that Jesus is Lord, if we confess that Jesus is King, He's King of our life, King of our heart, King of our soul. So Jesus came proclaiming on the donkey that He's the rightful King. The second thing that Jesus revealed by coming into Jerusalem in this fashion is that He's the victorious King. And this is so important too because according to Zechariah's prophecy, he says the king himself will be saved. Now, that ought to kind of like shake us. How is the king who is righteous and victorious, how does he need to be saved? Now, you're already jumping ahead to Easter, and that's good. You're smart theological students because you've already made the connection because we're looking back through time. But they're looking forward through time to try to guess the future. He's righteous and and needs to be saved. How can it be? How can someone be righteous and yet be in need of salvation? You can't have both. If you're righteous, then you don't need salvation. But Zechariah helps us understand that he's the righteous and victorious king who will be saved. Well, the Messiah did not come to be saved, Scripture tells us, but to save people. And yet here Zechariah is saying he will be saved. The very reason for Christ's coming was because God's people needed a Savior. People need a Savior today. I mean, what good would it do for God to send a Savior who himself was in need of salvation? Make no sense. Understand the coming king did not need to be saved from his sins because he had none. 2 Peter 2.22 says this he only committed one sin is that what it says no he committed no sin none not even a half of one Jesus committed no sin well for how long from his birth to his ascension in the book of Acts and through today throughout jesus whole earthly life he never committed one sin that means that every thought that jesus thought was a pure thought every word that jesus spoke was a true word every action that jesus performed was a just action now jesus did not need to be saved from his sins but he did need to be saved from death. And he was saved from death by the resurrecting power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, God's rightful king, would be delivered and would be vindicated, but the vindication and the delivering would not happen on Palm Sunday. This was not the day. The day in Matthew 21 when Jesus is entering into Jerusalem on the donkey, on the foal of a colt, on that day, that was not the day of Christ's victory. 
Now, from the human perspective, those gathered in the city of Jerusalem that day, they thought victory had been won and victory had been gained. But they were thinking about it from a political perspective. Because here was the rightful heir to the throne of David coming in to overthrow the evil Roman Empire and, and push them out and take his place and sit upon David's throne there in Jerusalem. Jesus' victory, though, was not won on the Sunday before Easter, on Palm Sunday. Just a few days later, on Good Friday. And I hope you read Jacqueline and, and Myers' little blurb in your bulletin about our Tenebrae service. We're going to do a Good Friday service that's more reminiscent of what a Good Friday service should be. So I hope you'll read uh, that blurb that Jacqueline has in there, help you understand and to what we're going to be doing on that, on that Friday. The city that welcomed Jesus as king on Sunday would call for his crucifixion on Friday. Jesus, on that Thursday and Friday, would be wrongly convicted. He would be brutally beaten, so much that he bled. That's a fulfillment and a reference to the Genesis 49 passage where it says that his robes will be drenched in wine, in the blood of the vine, the juice of the vine. We now know that that drenching of his garments was not wine, it was similar to the color of wine, but it was his blood. Jesus was wrongly convicted, but he won the victory. And his victory came early on a Sunday morning before the sun dawned. And we have a name for that day. We call it Easter. Resurrection Sunday. The first day of the week. That's why we worship on the first day of the week, on Sunday. Because Jesus left the tomb empty on a Sunday. That's why Christians worship on Sunday and not Saturday. Because He left the tomb empty. Now the fact, and this is so important, the fact and the reality is that God raised Jesus from the dead. And because God saved Jesus, and because God had the power to resurrect dead Jesus, He has the power to resurrect you and me, to raise us from the dead. He has the power to save us, because if He can save Jesus, He can also save us. And now that Jesus Himself has been delivered from death, that means by inheritance, He has the power to deliver us from death. The one who is righteous and resurrected is very able and capable of being our Savior. Now the way to enter into this, this victory is to call on Jesus for salvation. That's why Scripture says there's no other name under heaven whereby men and women must be saved. It's Jesus only. It's only by calling on Him. And even though the, the crowds that were gathered in Jerusalem did not yet understand the crucifixion that was coming or the resurrection that was coming, they asked for their rightful king to save them as he was entering into Jerusalem for him to deliver them. And they welcomed him as their victorious savior. Now, in truth, the crowds hardly understood what they were saying. They just barely got a, a, a bit of the truth. 
many of them were looking for some kind of political deliverance. But that's not at all the kind of victory that Jesus came to win. He doesn't care about our feeble politics. He raises up kings and leaders and, and lowers them. But Jesus is concerned about eternity. He came to give His life as an atonement for sin, for your sin, for my sin. And the salvation that He offers is a deliverance from that sin. If we're not delivered by Jesus, we're still bound in our sin. If we're still bound in our sin, we know from last week that we're still God's enemy. If we're still God's enemy, we're going to bear the full brunt of His wrath and we're going to spend eternity in hell. That's it. Because you are either with God or you are not with God. If you're with God in eternity, that's called heaven. If you're not with God, you're you're for eternity in hell. It's one or the other. There's no in-between. And He came to give His life to give us a permanent deliverance from death and a permanent deliverance from God's eternal wrath and a permanent deliverance into His presence in heaven. Now, when we ask for salvation, we're making a confession of sorts. When we ask Jesus to become our Lord and Savior, we are intrinsically confessing that we're a sinner. We're confessing that we deserve to be condemned to death for our sins. But we're also confessing that Jesus has the power, the only one who has the power to deliver us. And so Jesus pronounced himself as the victorious king. The third thing Jesus revealed by riding into Jerusalem, according to Zechariah and to Matthew, is that he's the gentle king. One of the images I shared last week was that when Adam and Eve sinned against God, you would expect God to turn on them in full wrath because they rejected Him and became His enemy. But that's not what God did. God did not turn in wrath on Adam and Eve. Instead, He turned to cover their sin. God didn't turn to destroy them. He turned to forgive them and to love them. Now, in ancient times, when Jesus is pronouncing that He's the gentle king, He does it in a way that for the people of Israel was obvious. Back in the old days, in the ancient days, when a king rode into a city, it was because that city had been conquered. It had been defeated. And it was the king rode in to show his power and his wealth. But here is a surprising king, a surprising thing. The rightful king... The victorious king is also the gentle king. And Jesus comes to his subjects, not with pomp and circumstance, not on a grand stallion surrounded by armies and flags and banners. Jesus comes into the city in all humility, in all meekness. Gentleness, or that word lowly, is one of the attributes that Zechariah mentions in his prophecy. He says in verse 9, See, your king comes to you lowly or gentle. The king's gentleness is symbolized by his mode of transport because he's on a donkey of all creatures. And then a bald one at that. Wasn't even his own donkey. Another indication of his gentleness is the relationship that Jesus has to his subjects, the one who are gathered there. He treats them as members of his own family. See, God regards his people as his own beloved children, and God 
Christ's love for his people is like the love of, that a good father would have for his own dear sons and dear daughters. Now, we don't want to be mistaken here. Yes, Jesus loves his children, and yes, Jesus loves the people. But that gentleness is not a sign of weakness. It's rather a sign of strength and personal confidence. When Jesus came riding into Jerusalem as the gentle king, he did not come as the king of the Jews only. Jesus came into Jerusalem pronouncing that he's the king universal over all time, all things. He came to save people from every tribe, in every language, in every nation. I mean, what Christ the king proclaims to the nations is peace. I mean, it's no wonder the crowds gave him such a royal welcome riding into Jerusalem. He was coming with gentleness to be their victorious and rightful king. And it must have been an amazing sight to see. Because the people gathered there would have clearly understood what was being pronounced. And as he approached Jerusalem at the start of the Passover feast, hundreds of thousands of pilgrims would have been crowded in Jerusalem for Passover. And they all would have began flooding into the streets as the king rode in on the donkey. From the Mount of Olives, Jesus probably could have seen the crowds of people in the city. And as the word spread that the king was coming, and it spread quickly, the people who were already in the city came out to greet him as he approached Jerusalem. And we can imagine that there were people out in front of Jesus pronouncing, Son of David. There would have been people beside Jesus on both sides pronouncing, Hosanna to the Son of David. There would have been people behind Jesus as he walked through the gates of Jerusalem and walked into the city shouting and pronouncing Hosanna to the son of David. There would have been people everywhere. They were waving palm branches and throwing down their robes and making this procession of praise as he entered in. The truth is, that's exactly the kind of welcome Jesus deserves. He deserves that same kind of welcome into our hearts, into our lives, even today with all pomp and all circumstance, to welcome the king. See, Jesus is the rightful king. He's the victorious king because death is now conquered. He's the gentle king because he loves even his enemies. But the question we want to ask is, is Jesus your king? If he's not, you must make him your king if you ever hope to make heaven your home. As Charles comes, we're going to sing a hymn. If you have a spiritual decision to make, I invite you to come. I'll be glad to pray with you. Let's all stand together.